Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I, I was embarrassed by our level of execution in all three phases and... Um, I didn't think we had the juice we had last week. We didn't get as many hats to ball on defense. We made mistakes over and over on offense. We made mistakes on special teams. Um, I wasn't happy with it, and I, I didn't really see it coming. But it was almost like our team thought we won one game, we're good, we're good. And uh, that, that's not how it works in this league. It's not how it works in life. It's not how it works in football. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Hey, Mac, uh, we received uh, some feedback last week that you and I watching games in the hot tub is kind of weird. Hmm. I think it's weird that we receive feedback on that because... We won the game when we were in the hot tub, and I apologize to all the Redcasters out there that we could not find a hot tub in Columbus to get in to salvage this week's game. It's our fault. Yeah, uh, Mac, I'm also with you, man. Anything else to add besides the the honky uh, combo? I mean, we're we're just going to unpack yet another frustrating loss from the Huskers. Our uh, wins per podcast numbers just keep declining in a horrible, horrible way, Dave. I... uh, I look forward to the days when this is behind us. We could have a season where we get more wins than what we've got in I don't know how many now. So, yes. Uh, also with Boomer. Well, I would like to apologize for you know, any of our predictions last week about how this game would go. We'd go back to review them, but unfortunately it turns out we didn't have any camera angles capturing what we said <laughs> last week. So, we're not going to be able to. So, let's just move on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Big Ten refs uh, probably would agree with that choice, Boomer. I'd like to apologize for our energy, too, on the last podcast. I saw it coming in the pre-production part of it, <laughs> and I thought, you know, when the when the lights come on, we'd probably be ready to go, but, you know, it just wasn't there. It just you wasn't just there. didn't give the reps. We just didn't get the reps. I didn't trust you guys getting downfield. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well, guys, it was a frustrating Saturday morning, to say the least, for the uh, Fighting Illini, a uh, team that... Uh, we had uh, vanquished, I think, the last five years in a row, um, uh, and uh, just wasn't meant to be. We don't know why, because uh, we felt like the team was starting to turn a quarter. Scott Frost felt it was turning a corner, and uh, a significant step back, honky, an embarrassment, if you will. Yeah, but how about those alt uniforms, huh? I mean, yeah, look- black on black. Give me oh, and four attack, on right? those. Is that right? Yeah, they look sharp. Uh, I, I think. First, before we go to anything else, we do want to, you know, say continued prayers for Colin Miller uh, from today's presser. It sounds like he had a spinal concussion and should actually be okay, which when you think about what we saw there, it's amazing how sobering a moment. You know, we all went, Mac, you and mm-hmm. I were watching that game together, and we went from yelling and screaming and everything at the game, and all of a sudden you see that, and it just puts a lot of things in perspective. It's a so, young, the young men playing a game, oh. and, and, you know, at the end of the day, you, you want all those guys to get home and be safe. Some dude on Twitter was – just posting, like, 
two minutes before that happened, was posting something about how Miller's getting killed. He's getting run over by, you know, these linemen. And and I was like, dude, you may want to just take that down because yeah. he's literally laying on the ground. Yeah, Dan, Dan Walken also had some choice words wow. about Scott Frost's reputation at that exact moment, too. But that guy is a confirmed turd, so yeah. nobody do. Uh, you know, Dave, I, I'm going to take the athletic director approach right now, and I'm going to say that I'm coming up – I'm going to kind of hold my final analysis a little bit until the season is over. And part of that's because, you know, I want to see this team play more. I mean, we're four games in and it's not a normal year. But at the same token, I mean, I'm afraid that some of my analysis, it's not good. And last week's game was not good. I don't want to overreact one game, but it wasn't good, Dave. No, it wasn't good. Um, It was bad at times, you know, I mean, I think there is a real risk here of overreaction by everyone, uh, the fan base, the media, uh, on down the line, be honest with you in the sense of like, I think you have to step back and ask yourself, did I see real improvement progress in the first three games, even though two of those were losses at times, did I see improvement? Did I see player development, um, across uh, the board and in the I, I think the answer was yes in in many cases but did they regress uh, in this game boomer hell yeah they regressed right yeah this was definitely a, a game of regression and, and this season's just kind of weird just based on how it is you know we always say we don't want to overreact to one game I mean, we certainly enjoyed the overreaction of the Penn State game if you listen to our podcast <laughs> last week we we're certainly more than happy to adjust for that but yeah this week was definitely a step back and that's just kind of been the the general feel to the program just for how long now it's just every time we seem to take some kind of step forward we turn around and just something sends us backwards uh you know in this game i I don't think anybody expected this kind of a performance but yeah this is definitely disappointing from what we thought we would get coming out of that penn state game where we thought we finally turned that corner and got that win yeah you know boomer uh, you know producer skip uh texted us i think he's like yeah it feels like with Scott Frost and this team, it's one step forward, one step back almost immediately, right? I mean, it's not like we even get more than a week of, of, of hope and then we're right back to square one. But Mac, I mean, I mean, yeah, we had a lot of fun uh, last week's show. Maybe some of us more than others, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, we also were, were, you know, we pointed out some obvious things. I mean, the Penn State game, we, we got some turnovers and got some easy points, but the offense struggled at times, especially in the second half. And we went through that and, and it wasn't pretty at times against Penn State. We happened to get the W. That covers up a lot of, uh, issues when you get a W. And when you don't get a W, um, all the, all the bad things are what you remember out of a game. Yeah. It's the things you thought would, would travel with us from game to game kind of evaporated. Um, at the same time, all our, our, Troubles and ales kind of came with it. It was just, you know, to credit this team, it was a complete team loss. I mean, nobody really, <laughs> nobody really stepped up and and was left hanging by their performance, you know. And I, and I say that kind of flippantly. And I know there's, I, I would say, you know, Wandell's always, you know, doing his best out there. But it was just from the very beginning, just sort of a whole team collapse, and it was unenjoyable almost from the first snap of well no the very first snap of offense yeah. it was completely unenjoyable and then it just sort of progressed and you know it's frustrating because you do want to build from those other games we saw Penn State you know we had that win Ohio State we showed some fight you know we we play Northwestern down to the wire and they're an undefeated team and so you figure you know going forward this is another building block and it just was a complete 
letdown. Yeah, Mac, we've watched every game that we've played, rewatched everyone since mm-hmm. the, the start of the season. D- did you watch this one? No. Yeah, I didn't either. To me, it's a throwaway game to watch right now because it's so unlike the other ones that we've seen. Even though there's similar things that happen, this is a just a calamity of bad errors all at once from, from play one all the way to the end, as Mac said. I think of those first two games, both losses, but you could see things against Ohio State and Northwestern, teams that, by the way, are combined 9-0 and right now. Things that where we stood up, where we played like a Big Ten team in the trenches, things where we could run the ball on them, things where you saw certain things you liked, right? Then we played Penn State and we won the game, but we were critical afterwards of of in the trenches. We didn't think that we were as strong against them, and we, we thought that we need to get that right by the time we play Iowa this week. And almost taking for granted this Illinois team that we're going to play. I want to give Illinois credit, number one. They beat us up. They played well, and they deserve credit. And you know what? They had an entire year to prepare for this because, as Lovey Smith said, they thought they should have won a year ago. And so if that tells me that it's about respect or it's about you know preparation, about you wanting to get back at someone, then I'd tell this team right now, Nebraska, if you have any guts in you, a year ago, the last two years, you've lost by walk-off field goals to this Iowa team. This is the team you guys hate. They hate you, all that stuff. Well, that kicker that made them, he's sitting there blowing kisses at you a year ago. I hope you guys have had 12 months of stuff built up in, inside of you. And if you want to build respect, if you want to get respect, it's not going to be what you say right now. You need to do it on the field. Every Nebraska fan should look at the other in you right now, Hydrox in you, as Boomer likes to call them, and look at Northwestern. They're called a bunch of Reese Davises right now on their Twitter account, and that's a response to a week ago where Joey Galloway on ESPN called them a bunch of Reese Davises as they're going to go up and get you know just destroyed by Wisconsin. And they don't sit there and complain. They don't bitch about it the week of the game. They All they do is go out and beat the tar out of Wisconsin. And now Joey Galloway looks like a, a chump, mm. and they're getting the last laugh on it. So right now, after the Illinois game, they posted some stuff on Twitter that they had to take down. Something about good game Nebraska. Thanks for bringing back Big Ten football. You know what? They earned it. They earned the right on the field yeah, to do I have that. No There's no problem with that post. No point. I have no problem with that. If we don't like this stuff, guys, in fact, and I'm talking to the players. Yeah, I'm talking to the players. If you don't like this stuff, guys, if you want to get respect, you got to do it on the field. Northwestern got respect by going out there on the field, and that video that they posted. How would that impact the way you looked at Northwestern as it pertains to a shot at a playoff spot? I've been watching Northwestern play, and, and honestly, I mean, they got a bunch of Reese Davises out there running around. A bunch of Reese Davises running around. Yeah, we are a bunch of Reese Davises. I hope they don't cut that. <laughs> Morning, Reese. Coach Reese. Oh my God, Reese Davis with the catch. <laughs> my name is Riley Reese Davis. Not bad for a bunch of Reese Davis. All I see is a bunch of Reese Davis. Head coach Reese Davis. Woo! That's Reese Davis one, Reese Davis two. The problem Three. is, too, which hate, what I hate is Reese Davis is a great guy. Yeah. He's a great guy. Nice catch, Reese. Way to go. Because I'm looking at a bunch of bad Reese Davis. That video they, that they posted is amazing. And that is something that, I mean, every one of our guys needs to look at that and go, you need to win it on the practice field, and you need to take it out on the team on the field. None of this in the public stuff, nothing matters. Words don't matter right now. I I don't even care what people say. I don't care if they say we had a great practice. None of that matters to me right now. It needs to be shown on the the field on Friday. And I'm confident these guys can do it. I'm not going to overreact to the Mm. point where, where we can't compete with Iowa. That's BS. We've competed with them. 
Stop making the mistakes. This is what I love about the podcast, because when we start talking about doing the show before we start recording, Honky's one way. But then he starts talking during the show, and I can see him ramp himself up to continue to predict a victory for this week. So I'm curious when yeah. we get to the prediction part of it, uh, how how you're going to go. But but it is, it's like that Bruce Springsteen song, same old story, same old act, one step forward, two steps back. How this team is incapable of building momentum is probably the most frustrating part of it, because... We outlined this before. It's no longer a talent issue. It's it's no longer a development issue. It, it becomes a mentality issue, and I don't I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know how to watch a game like this and 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 put this team in any kind of frame of mind for me. I'm like, we just don't know how to win games. Which you know, Penn State, we didn't learn anything. And apparently, if we do win games, then we're comfortable resting on our laurels and, and assuming a, we're going to beat the next team. Being a one and two team that, is, that beat a zero and four. It's team, ridiculous, yeah. and especially if you're the team making the most noise to play football going into yep. the season, you can't do it. So, Husker players, Husker coaches, you've earned all the flack you've gotten this week. We've got, we all got to own it. You earned it out there. There's no I, I, the the excuse about lack of energy, lack of focus, lack of juice. That's just all straight BS to me. I'm sorry. We bring it on this podcast every week. And I got to tell you, I'm tired of covering losses and trying to find silver linings every single damn week. Play football. Play it hard. Stop trying to find ways to lose the game. Stop talking. Start playing. Start believing in yourselves. Start attacking the game. You guys play like you're scared and it's manifesting on the field. And if, if you go into a game against Iowa like this, we're going to get the doors blown off us. And I really hope that's not the case. But it's it's on them at this point. I mean, we said it in the Loud Noises episode. As fans, I feel like we've got nothing to apologize for. We've been there for the team. We'll support them. They've got cutouts all over that stadium. Get out there and play some ball. Don't ever come into a press conference again and talk to me about energy. I'll, sh- I'll just bop, shut it off. Fine. Move on to basketball season. And that's Mac talking about basketball season. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, I think it's intriguing. I, I got really mad uh, last night. I listened to Sirius XM's uh, college sports channel, and they randomly were talking about Nebraska and the failure. And talk about overreaction. They they take a loss like this, and, and I can't remember who it was, but they were like, well, you know, Nebraska's a program. They just have too much ambition. There is no way they're ever going to go back to the 1990s Nebraska. The fan base needs to recalibrate their expectations. Boy, and I'm like, well, what does that have to do about it? losing to Illinois 41 to 23? Nothing, right? I mean, yep, like, zero. but it, it, it really irks me in the sense of like, I, I heard that today on local news media a little bit of saying that maybe there's just so much pressure on the program to perform at some level, and, you know, like, how can Matt Campbell at Iowa State do so well? Well, there's no pressure at Iowa State, so it's easy to motivate these players, oh, and Jesus. blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, so you're telling me it, it, it's because there's fan interest, and in that we've been Husker fans that experienced a high level of success, we're supposed to somehow stop caring. I just don't know how, as a fan, I'm supposed to stop caring, Honky. Well, Dave, I would think a home game in front of nothing but cardboard cutouts where none of that fan interest and none of that fan exposure is, is getting in your way, you should play your best game then, if that's truly it. I don't buy any of that garbage. You know what you can't do? You can't have nine turnovers against Illinois in two straight years. You can't have penalties that take touchdowns and two-point conversions and, and just points in general 
off the scoreboard. Those are things you can't do. And you can't do that against mm. Iowa, and you can't do that against Illinois. And we need to stop doing that. Now, here's the beauty of this. We can stop doing that this week, whether we learn how to throw the ball down the field or not. We can still do things on the field that stop some of those mistakes. Are we going to? That's the question. And guess what? Here's the beauty of this. I know we have this big podcast now that we're on Herd at we're Media. And yeah, we're big time. We're big time. But you know what? We have no... We're taking Herd at with us. <laughs> we got a lot of leather-bound books. We smell of rich mahogany. But we have no control over whether we're going to get better at those things. I don't want to see us fumbling the ball and throwing interceptions. I don't want to see us jumping off sides when we have a drive going and then we get a holding call that puts us in the you know first and 25 and we can't get out of our own way. Those are things that just can't happen. They can't. They have to stop happening. But until they do, we're going to continue having these struggles. When people talk about Nebraska fans having to recalibrate their expectations, they always point to things like, well, because of recruiting, because of geographical oh, location. Jesus, yes. And and the, the problem with that is we've never even gotten good enough with the team we have to see if that's true or not because we're recruiting pretty well. We've got talent on the field. What we are doing is playing bad football, and oh, that has nothing to do with right. all well, the reasons that people our, think we can't be back because you were looking at uh, Iowa's defensive line as right before we started. Yeah. I'm like, oh, hey, zero star. Oh, hey, two star. What is he, like 6'2"? Yeah, transferred one- from Hillsdale College. Yeah. Transferred from Iowa Central CC. You know, guys that are two and three and whatever stars. And you know what? They're all going to beat the tar out of us if we don't come out and give all a better All the reasons that Every the one national media tries to tell Husker fans that our expectations are out of whack, we don't even know yet because we haven't played good ball with the guys that we have. And I have a feeling if we were to ever do that and put that together on the field, I think Husker fans in general would be pretty pleased with that product. I mean, and eventually get to the point where, you know, maybe a couple special players here and there push us over the top. But my gosh, we're not even scratching the surface of the talent this team has right now. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what I don't know where that comes from. And it is the most frustrating part of this last week. <laughs> well guys, um I'm we'll take a deep dive here with scarlet colored glasses and um probably have some some difficult uh conversations and maybe answer some questions. I do want to keep the uh the Redcast listeners um uh excited though and we you know I I we we lost an important uh, Husker fan, uh, Joyce of the Sidetrack Band this week. Uh, Honky's gonna have some stuff later. So st- make sure you stay tuned. Where is some, some happy memories that we're gonna cover as well. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. Energy's way better. I think they're excited to play Iowa. Iowa's a really good team. Uh, it's gonna be a black and blue game like it always is against those guys. They're gonna make you earn it. And uh, we respect them, but we want to play as hard as we can and um, think the guys are going to prepare. All right, guys, let's put on our scarlet-colored glasses and talk all things Huskers football, talk a little offense and defense here all in one segment. And um, let's start with the uh, you know question of the day, month, year, Mac, and that's uh, our quarterback situation. You know, we, we've talked at length about you know giving Luke McCaffrey a, a shot, um, why not? Right. Let's get them mm-hmm. out there and see what we have. Um, and, you know, sometimes you don't need that much of a sample size to say that maybe someone isn't fully ready to take on that role. And and uh, Luke did struggle a bit uh, in this game, in particular, looking downfield to, to some targets. Uh, your initial thoughts there with um, our QB play. Yeah, with with Luke, I guess my biggest thing is I, I have to 
caution myself to judge him too harshly because I know it's his second start. But the problems that Adrian was having early in the year continued to manifest with Luke behind center. And it's the same kind of slow decision-making, lack of a deep threat. And then when we do throw it downfield, it's not a catchable ball. And basically our best offensive play is running with the quarterback. And, you know, you can look back at any of Frost offense, Oregon to UCF, I've never seen the quarterback run game be so heavily relied upon to get first downs. And that seems to be our number one play. And our number two play is to take our best slot wide receiver and make him a running back and then use him as it. And I don't know. I I, I guess I'm just shocked at this point in Frost's tenure here. That's where we're at with the offense. So, Mac, you know, today Chaz and SoCal posted a couple of videos, I think, from like year one of Frost, and it was successful down the field passes. And yes, it was to Stanley Morgan, but to me, it wasn't so much that it was Morgan was the receiver running down the field. It was that it was a snap and the ball is released fairly quickly, all the timing stuff that you've talked about. And it just seems like none of that's there right now. Are we doing something different from two years ago in terms of, are we trying to read more things before we get to that? Because I didn't see two or three underneath guys. It was snap, I'm throwing the ball. It just feels like we're reading six more things than we were reading two years it, ago. Maybe I'm seeing it, it wrong. It, I think it's a combination of, of that, almost a paralysis by analysis. But I also think it's the quarterbacks just aren't pulling the trigger. I don't no feel, fear of failure, man. That's well, what we're told. It, but it's, I know. And I love that phrase. I just wish I saw, I saw it on Saturdays. I don't feel like these quarterbacks are pulling the trigger. Either one of them. You know, yeah. Adrian came in off the bench. He played a little looser, and he was he was kind of firing the ball around. And that was the best the offense looked all day. <laughs> just did. like when when Luke came off the off the bench, and he was playing loose, and that was the best the offense looked yep, in. That's right. For some reason, whoever starts is afraid to launch the ball and and to trust his arm and to trust the coverage and to trust the wide receiver to do it. So my plan is to start start Wandell Robinson <laughs> at quarterback because why not? And then put whoever you want yeah, to in after that. In. Yeah, all the all the pressure. My God. You know, I was joking when I said bring Noah back, but not really. <laughs> and I was joking about Rucker sucking and not joking for sure, but Look at what Noah does. He just grips it and rips it. He trusts where he's going to go with the ball. This offense is being hindered by a lack of confidence a at lack, the trigger guy. Total That's lack a problem. Of Question, do you think it's lack of confidence? or Yes. Or do you just, not picking on Luke, but he doesn't pass that well. I mean, those are not great balls he's throwing a lot of times. He may not trust his arm strength either. But, Mike, I think if you don't throw it with confidence, you're never going to throw a good ball. You've got to step and rip it. And I feel like they're guiding the ball. I feel like they're floating the ball. And I feel like he's aiming the ball. He needs to throw it. So that was exactly the question I was going to ask you, Dave, was what Boomer just kind of brought up was it's one of two things right now with McCaffrey throwing it legitimately on one end of this thing. Look, the guy is a D1 talent. He's D1 speed. He has the pedigree to be a next level talent at some position as you just continue to grow and get bigger, right? He has all those things, but he either doesn't have a D1 arm or he's lacking the confidence to just let it rip. It's one of the two because some of the throws are so underthrown or so weak armed or just completely that out of bounds when he threw Dave, what are you thinking? You actually rewatched the game, so maybe you saw something different <laughs> yeah. than I did. Yeah, no, and I was watching that because during the game, the the interception he throws where he has, I think it's Levi Falk or somebody like wide open running down there, and he just 
he doesn't pull the trigger quick enough, and he puts way too much air underneath it, and the safety comes up and, and picks it off. He was open. If he, he guns that, throws it deep into the outside, that's probably a touchdown or a, a big play at minimum. I don't think that's indicative of his arm strength, though, because you see other other plays where mm-hmm. he doesn't set his feet and and throws the ball. He throws the, the short out very well, and that's a long throw, actually, even if it's relatively yep. short down the field. That's a long throw, and he can throw that to bets all day long, right? So mm-hmm. um, when he has confidence to Max's point of where he wants to go with the ball, especially in that first drive, he throws with authority. But then as soon as he has to actually have to uh, read a defense and make decisions, he's not seeing guys downfield. And then even when he has chances to check it down, he ends up deciding to run it. That's how you get 26 carries out of Luke McCaffrey, right? It's not because sure. I mean, we called, I, I still, I don't, I like mobile quarterbacks. I don't like a running quarterback uh, system as much as you do, Hunk. But I mean, like half of those 26 are him taking the ball down and running. Yeah. I like mobile QB systems. I don't want a QB running that much. And, and if you're going to be a mobile QB, I want to see options. That's what I'd want to see out of a mobile yeah. QB. This yeah. isn't the style of mobile QB offense I want to see either. No. This now, isn't the style uh, of, the, that of this, this Frost offense should even look like. Yeah. This doesn't look like anything but he's ever to, done. Yeah. I think Frost would agree with that. To go back to the Chaz and SoCal video, though, where he's showing Martinez throw passes with a confidence two years ago that we're not seeing now. He's made the throws that we want to see him throw now. And so is when, Luke. When you think of Luke a year ago against the team that we're going to play this week, when he came out there against Iowa and he threw that one pass yeah. to JD, um, I don't care who the receiver is. It doesn't matter that it was JD. He threw a, a ball on a dime 30 yards down the field. And I don't care if it was out of a gimmick play. I really don't care. He showed an arm strength and he showed a throw that he's not showing right now. Why is that happening? This becomes it's a development thing. It's a it's yeah. legitimately a coaching thing. I mean, they've got to figure that out. I can't tell you why, but I'm saying I've seen him do certain things, and I've seen Martinez do certain things that they seem to be struggling to do now. And if it's because we've thrown more things on them, if we've made them have to read more things or do whatever, then stop it. You know, every <laughs> every coaching staff since Callahan. This the funny thing is, we keep talking about simplifying the, the playbook. I have swear to God. I remember Callahan, the first time he goes, we need to simplify it. And then we need to simplify it. And then then Bo came in and simplified it. And then eventually, you know, Mike Riley simplified it. And now Frost is simplifying it. And I, I'm figuring by this point, the, the playbook has to be like a pamphlet, like a one-page pamphlet, because it seems like they've simplified it 82 times. But yet we still <laughs> seem to be paralysis by analysis. Well, you know, we all know that Boomer's the smartest guy in the Red Cast. And uh, mm-hmm. he's actually uh, dabbled in uh, teaching uh, before, right? A professor of economics and and business uh, courses and whatnot. Dr. Boomer. So Boomer, as as a teacher, um, is it important to be the smartest guy in the room or actually like figure out how to communicate complex, you know, equations or or thoughts to, you know, a classroom of folks that are just trying to to learn this at a basic level? I asked thinking about uh, knowing Mario Verduzco and and how smart he is. He has a a doctorate in essentially quarterback play, but I I don't know if what he knows about that position is being communicated well to his quarterback room. To be an effective instructor, you have to tailor what you're doing to your audience. Uh, You can't just you won't teach, like, for example, if you're teaching a class to people right out of high school, you're not going to teach them the exact same way you would people that are going to night school that have had 20 years of experience in the workforce sort of thing. You have to be aware of who your audience is, tailor it to it, change things as you need to. You can't be wedded to one way of doing things. This is the only way you can learn it. And 
that's that's kind of one of the cores of effective teaching in, in my experience. You got to tailor what you do. Yeah, you know, Mac. I mean, we, we've heard Mario speak before, right? And I, mean, mm-hmm. I love the guy. He's a, he's funny and um, just a character, right? And he's a unique um, individual, and obviously has Scott Frost's confidence. But it is concerning in the sense that, to your point, you're, you're seeing the same issues that Adrian is having, that Luke is having, and that, that speaks to both of them struggling to do what the coaching staff is asking them to do. That It's not just one individual here. We At the last coaches clinic we got to go to, I mean, we got a chance to talk with him. I, I asked him a couple just mechanical issues about throwing the football, and he super receptive guy. His thesis was on the physiology of throwing the football, literally throwing the football. Like muscle memory kind of stuff? Well, kind of just, that, just the, the whole the muscles being like a rubber band. The faster you expand it, the more you get whip out of it. Well, I remember watching you, you chatted with him for like a yeah. half hour, and he was telling you, he was going into all that, you know, running to your left if you're a right-handed quarterback yeah. and how you adjust. Or, and all I asked him, <laughs> it was funny too, because all I asked him was, how do you initiate the throwing process? And, you know, it was like, you know, and he just went into this whole, you know, probably page four of his of his thesis. But His 268-page thesis was titled The Biomechanics of the Quarterback Position, a Kinematic Analysis, and Integrative Approach. So there you go. I abbreviated a little bit. Thank you, Bowen. <laughs> but, I'm here to help. And, and he also he's also famous for giving his quarterbacks these tests. And, you know, to, to see how they're doing on the offense. And I assume it's about reading particular defensive keys as to where to go with the ball. And I specifically remember him talking about Luke scoring the best that any freshman's ever done on that. Including McKenzie Milton. McKenzie, yeah, absolutely. So there has got to be some kind of disconnect. There's something that's not translating from that room to the playing field. And it's hard to point at one guy and say this is, this is yeah. Mario's fault. Because... If it was just one thing on this team right now, that that maybe you could. But it's like so st- systemic about something is happening at, from practice to the field that isn't getting relayed, that isn't being translated, that isn't manifesting in any kind of way. So I I don't know. I I, I trust what Mario's doing, but man, we got to start seeing something out of these guys. They've got to cut loose. They've just got to relax and cut loose. I mean, they're all comfortable running the ball. Both Adrian yeah. and, and Luke are good running the ball, very good running the ball. you got to stay in that pocket and it, deliver it. Look, I'm just throwing my opinion out there, and I'm being very clear. Two weeks ago, in fact, at halftime of the Northwestern game, I thought that Martinez needed to be pulled. And I came back after that, and I said, I think Luke you know, should be the starter, and we can't just pull him the second he struggles. And I'm going to sound like the biggest hypocrite in the world right now, but I think he should be pulled. My opinion on what I think our offense looks best right now, I think Martinez, getting him out there, I think he runs the the majority of this offense the best. And I want Luke out there in a contributing role. Think first drive of Ohio State, for cripe's sakes. I mean, anything from running back to wide receiver to throwing the ball like he did a year ago against Iowa. I'm not saying take McCaffrey off the field. I'm saying put Martinez at quarterback. I think he's the leader of this team. And I think that that he's in the right position there. But we've got to figure out, it's not just about quarterback. As we transition to other positions, Dave, how much did we talk about bell cow before the season started? <laughs> Almost forgot. And, you know, obviously partially through injury, but just where is the running back? Right. And we've got where to be able to run the football. Though? Where is the running back? Any of them. <laughs> not just Mills. Where is any of them? Why is it Wandell? You know, Marvin Scott looked okay at 
at moments in this game, Mac, if you do rewatch it uh, before Friday, you'll see some runs early mm-hmm. in the in the game where he gets five, seven yards just by just like running low to the ground and, and being a little bit patient and, and fighting through a couple tackles and he gets gets yards up the middle. Um, he he had some moments there, but we don't go back to him enough. Um, and and that's I mean partially it's play calling. Um, partially, I think the O line started to perform worse as the game went on. Um, mm-hmm. it really struggled at times in the second half in particular, um, both with pass protect and, and run game. And, you know, it was odd. Like, uh, it, we also tried to seem to run outside the tackles a little bit more in the second half, whereas in the first half, we did have some success running in between the tackles. But yeah, I, I don't get it. Ramir Johnson was a lot in the second half, actually. Martin mm-hmm. Scott wasn't in the game that much the second half. So I'm going to throw out two suggestions, one that we've seen this staff do and one that we've not seen them do, and both of which completely go against everything that we thought this team would do when they were first hired, okay? One of them is I think we need to get under center a little bit more. I don't care who the center is. It really doesn't matter if it's Farniak or if it's Jurgens or whatever. We've struggled simply at the basis of the play. Timing of all these plays seems to be off when we start to get weird snaps. And then even if the snaps are good, quarterbacks are get a little jumpy. They literally jumpy. Like it took the first game of McCaffrey to be out there, mm. and he was starting to hop a little bit when there'd be good snaps. Same thing we saw from Martinez two years ago. Yeah, that's right. If you're not getting good snaps, then even good snaps become jumpy ones for you. So. One of my suggestions would be get under center. Okay, we've seen that. That's something the staff has shown that they're willing to do. I would like to see more of that because I think that would help us out. Here's my other suggestion, and this is we haven't seen. Huddle. Actually slow the game down. Get into a huddle. Talk. We have switched sidelines at home so that the opponents can't see our cards that we hold up. And we don't want them to get any idea what they say. And right now, I'm not even that worried about that. Because if the opponents know what they say, at least one of the teams does. <laughs> I mean, this is this is getting to be a little absurd where we're trying to do so much to fool and trick and out-tempo you. And I'm like, I, tempo scares the hell out of me right now. We could have four straight great plays. We could be going down the field. We get two first downs, right? Two first downs in a row. We're moving the ball. We're in tempo. What happens, Dave? First and ten. Uh, false start. False start. There you go. And then now it's... First and 15. So then on first and 15, Mac, what do we run? Uh, probably a quarterback draw. Quarterback or, draw for two yeah. two yards. It's second and 13. Now we roll out to the right, and we get some pressure, and then we throw a pass. Maybe we complete it for eight yards. Ah, left tackle held. Now it's second and 23. And that drive that had so much potential starts to bowl up because we wanted to get into some tempo, or we're moving too fast, or faster than we can move. And you know what? I don't think the players are bad. I don't think the coaches are bad. I don't think the scheme is ruined. Mm. I think all these things can work. We just might not be there for whatever reason. Well, it, it, part of it is, too, if you can't get the ball downfield with big play shots, you can't get the ball downfield with the wide receivers, then defenses are, are just going to keep creeping yep, up closer right, to the line of scrimmage, yes. which puts more pressure on the offensive line to perform. And then yes. you do get holding calls, and you do get tackles that are jumpy because mm-hmm. you know they're coming. We haven't done our line any favors with how we've executed these plays from the skill position plays. And the inability to get any running back going this year. You know, everybody talks about the wide receivers, but the the running back position, and I don't think it's through the fault of the running backs either. 
I just don't get the mentality of this coaching staff and our running game coordinator, Greg Austin. Is he not suggesting using the running backs in this game? Because I, I feel like the only running game we have, and I would bet if I looked at the stats, I'd be right, is the quarterback position or yeah. Wandell. Yeah. Non-running back positions, right? Oh, it's right? quarterback draws. Yeah, that's our entire running game. Yeah. How how is what's the line supposed to do? Like how is the offensive line going to make that any better? If the defense knows the quarterback or Wandell's going to run the ball, you block for that. It's a no-brainer. You motion Wandell, yeah. you call you cover him or you cover yeah, you cover I, Luke. It's just not that hard. I, I I get caught up in that game of words like I like a mobile quarterback. I like option. If I have a mobile quarterback, I want option as it. Well, you see none of that. So I'm not seeing any of the things I want to see. Yeah, out quarterback of- draw is not what you want to see. Co- yeah. Quarterback draw is the last thing. We're that, getting good we, at it, though. We were talking, I mean, we're really holding well, back there for that last well, we, that two count and then going. Mac, you and I have talked about this on multiple games that we've watched. There have been times we've run quarterback draws, especially in the red zone. I'm like, I don't want yeah. the quarterback to take those hits. Bell cows take those hits in the two-yard line. We we're should, handing the ball off to Rondo Robinson at the five. Come on. Who is our bell cow supposed to be this year? We should have asked well, what Ryan Held what bell cow means. Because well, I feel like we're getting that wrong. Bell well, cow means you get 12 to 15 carries in three games. Well, Mills Mills is the bell cow. Right. Mills is supposed to get 20 to 25 carries. That's what a bell cow would be. Now, you know how many yards he has this year so far? Oh, I don't even want 173 to. 173 times. Not even that. 95. Yeah. I mean, right away, Ooh. in the first game, he had nine carries or whatever it was against Ohio State. That's not That's not good, right? That might be the worst and, stat I've heard. Yeah, that's not good. 93 yeah. yards for Mills for the year? Well, he didn't play the last two games, essentially, Mac. <sighs> Yeah. Our leading rusher is Luke McCaffrey, 318 yards. Next, second is Adrian Martinez, who didn't sure. really play for the last game. And he's at 195. Then after that is Wandell at 120, and he shouldn't be our go-to running back. So none of our top three runners are actually running backs in the program or in the media guide. Correct. Boomer, that's a problem, right? <laughs> yeah, that's not what you look for in your running backs. I mean, you want those quarterbacks and those other options like Wandell there just to spice things up, keep people on their heels. But when they're your only go-to option, I've commented on it in games. It's just, our, you know, in our text threads and stuff in games, the only play that ever seems to be effective that we have is a quarterback draw or just a quarterback run because he just decided not to pass. That's not a recipe for success. And that just seems to be all we have right now. Yeah. Well, let's talk about one thing that we added to the playbook. And then, Dave, um, let's start to – Talk about some positives, hopefully. I mean, I think there's some things still that we can find that are positives from it. But one thing that I saw that was an addition to the playbook, I hadn't seen it yet, we started running some Power Eye Pistol this last week. So we yeah. actually had, you know, quarterback in the in the backfield. We had another back next to him. We had a back behind him, pistol side. You know, they're opening some more things up, I guess, in a three-back kind of sense, or at least two-back sense. We've got a lot of ways to run the quarterback draw. <laughs> a lot of formations for that quarterback draw. <laughs> we're, get, we're getting there. I mean... Dave, from a positive standpoint, were there some things that you took away that we built on from a prior game or something that, that you saw that maybe you think would work this weekend as we go against Iowa? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Obviously, Luke ran the ball way too much, uh, like we said, 26 carries. But he, he did throw the ball occasionally to the, uh, <laughs> an open receiver. He's, mm-hmm. He made made some throws to the tight ends. Oliver Martin, a uh, transfer from Iowa and before that Michigan, I think, made a couple of catches and was on the field quite a bit, which, um, you know, is confusing. There's a guy who's relatively new. He can get out there. Xavier Betts and others can't. Um, when Adrian came in the game, you know, looking for positives, 
he did push the ball down field a little bit better and um, seemed to, to make some better reads. It's interesting to rewatch a game. Your memory will kind of like distort things, right, Mac? And you like, you kind of remember things and, and, you know, I mean, like, it was odd to watch the game again, and and at times, even in the second half, the offense under Luke did move the ball, um, but it would always fizzle out, and it, it was really the defense that looked really, really challenged most of the game. The offense doesn't score a lot of points again this game, but it did move the ball occasionally. It's ugly, to your point, it feels like a junior high offense. It did move the ball occasionally. That's the frustrating thing, is that I, I know, looking at Tate from the UCF and Oregon days, that you have to rip the the top off of defenses with this offense. You gotta get the ball downfield. It changes the entire dynamic of the offense and all these running plays that look like you know what right now. I feel it would look so much better if we had the defense uh, pushed back. Right now they're sucked up. We need to push them back. Mm-hmm. And until yeah. we get those deep threats, um, it's going to look ugly. So I, I can't tell you a lot of positives from an offensive side honk besides that. Well, and, and besides just the deep threats too, some of this is that there are open guys that are short, but we have to throw them open. We're not, we can't wait for them to be yeah, open. No, it's a good point. I saw that too. Three steps, lead the receiver and trust that receiver to make a play. You can't wait for them to always show, right? I mean, yeah. that's part of a QB and, when it's Martinez making that mistake, that's where we go, well, that guy should be throwing it because he's had three years of experience. When it's Luke making that mistake, it's he just needs the snaps, right? Yeah. I mean, multiple times Luke took took the ball and ran where he could have checked down to Ramir or he had a tight end flashing over the middle, and he just either didn't throw it or if he did throw it, it was too late. And he, he was open and got covered. Um, there's a lot of instances of, of Luke just not making the read quick enough. And to your point, is a second start. He, he, he might be making that read next year, but uh, I don't know if he's going to make the read next week. And that's why the, this decision with the quarterback is going to be really interesting on Friday. As we move away from offense, Dave, do you have any issues from a coaching perspective from this last game? I'll, I'll lead you with a question. Um, <laughs> boy. Well, some of the – Get him open. Well, some of the reviews that, that – there were some uh, questionable refereeing decisions on two different turnovers. I believe one was a fumble and then one obviously was the first play of the game. But we didn't call timeouts. We didn't give them chances to review it. I mean, that's that's just as simple as control the things you can control. Now, as we have learned after the game, it probably wouldn't have mattered because the refs were saying they didn't have an angle and why in the hell they wouldn't have an angle to see it. But Apparently, but the, they don't have the big point is, Yeah, but the point <laughs> is, from a coaching perspective – Make them have to stop and, and review it. I don't know. I guess that, that was what was the first thing that came to my mind during it. You wish it wouldn't come to that, right? Yeah. I mean, you wish the Big Ten officials would have just stopped the play. It was definitely worthy of a review. I mean, I told yeah. you, if they, if they for some reason just couldn't determine that it was a forward pass or not, that's one thing. I can, I can blame technology or, uh, poor ice or whatever. I don't understand why they didn't review it. Um, there's a, you know, a, a, a fumble a little bit later, I think, from Illinois that they don't review either. So uh, the, the, they just didn't seem to, to want to review any calls in the game. I don't I don't get it at all. It's hard to yeah. say. And as, as a coaching staff, yeah, I guess you should have called a timeout there, uh, Boomer. But, boy, you feel like uh, you'd like to think the refs would make the right call and you wouldn't have to do that. Well, you'd hope so, and, you know, you always worry first play of the game, do you waste a timeout at that point? Yes! (laughs) 
you you do it anytime there's a turnover potential. Yeah, a massive turnover like that, especially that side of the field. I mean, I guess you know the worst thing that comes of it is okay, we we get a penalty on it because he was past the line of scrimmage and throwing a pass. That's probably what should have happened on that play. Yes, I, that was the right call. Yeah. That should have been the call, and, and coaching staffs really probably should burn that time out at that point. If you need a clock management coordinator, Scott, we have some ideas. <laughs> just, just Especially when you go into halftime with timeouts. Especially when it comes to points of turnovers and points being taken off the board or you know huge penalties that really affect games. Absolutely, timeouts can be used in examples of that if it's going to have that big of an effect. And I know it's the first play of the game, but it's also giving the opponent the ball in your red zone. You know, look, I'm, I'm picking on this thing, but it's – it's something to pick on, right? Let's pick on special teams for a second, Boomer. A fake punt that could be timed on a calendar? <laughs> I mean, that's... That was like a geologic time sort of <laughs> fake punt there. I mean, it was so odd. And Frost said after the game that we had 10 guys on the field on defense. Yeah, that shouldn't be happening at this point in a, in a season. You've got to have all your personnel out there. Whoever's in charge of that, that's that's ridiculous. And We talk about special teams, you know, they just completely turned that second half around. You, your defense finally went out there. You had a three and out. Yep, they played great. As slow as it was, he made it work, and that just and they chewed up about what six and a half minutes on that drive. Yes, that was the worst part. Yeah, it was like he literally forgot what button was his sprint button on PlayStation. <laughs> exactly, and yeah. he couldn't go. I'm like, what? What is happening? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting in the sense that I mean, if you don't have some sort of of defensive rush. A punter is going to want to do that anyway because essentially delaying kicking the ball gives his teammates a better chance to get further down the field and will make a, a punt return almost impossible. So when you sit as a receiving team, you can't really do that because if you don't give any rush, you're not going to you're not really setting yourself for a, a good punt return anyway. It, it's really poor technique. It feels like I don't I don't understand it. How about defense, Dave? I mean, we've gone this far without even talking about it. Yeah. I was disappointed, to be quite honest. Right away, I told Mac, look, that first turnover on play one, that was awful, right? But boy, we let them score easy on us. And I know it's from the 15-yard line, but who cares? Make it hard. You know, when you go and play Wisconsin and Iowa and Northwestern and those teams, they make it hard when you're at the the two-yard line. That's right. And we made it easy. And I'm like, this is a bad start. And that running back, we couldn't tackle him at the beginning, and we couldn't tackle him at the end. Either one. They had two over 100, yep. right? Brown and Epstein both uh, had explosive plays against his Mac. Uh, hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Looking at the X's and O's, I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on what Illinois did against us that was so successful. It kind of harkened back to the Minnesota game last year and the Iowa game where it seemed like they you know, ran a lot of um, – slants and and let the hole develop and then be able to cut back a little bit it was not quite the same but um they were patient and and when they found the hole they hit it and uh, i i don't know if it was all on our d line again i feel like the linebackers yeah brimers had a tough day it felt like you know he showed his youth there and there were some gaps that just were not fit you know it wasn't anything special it wasn't anything exceptional it was just really good hard-nosed football played by a team that was really interested in winning a game. And our defense seemed to think eventually these guys would get tired or eventually we'd figure something out or we'd make some kind of adjustment. I don't know what our defense was thinking. We never yeah. attacked like we should have. And we were always – it seemed like we were hanging on for dear life with every tackle that running back and waiting for someone else to come clean it up. Yeah. I was nervous going into the game about 
Williams, their quarterback who played against Rutgers, the, the young guy, the freshman, I was worried again about his feet, about the mm-hmm. mobility of the quarterback. And those are things that, you know, it harkens back to my days from the 90s, right? When we play the James Browns and those guys that can beat you with your feet. Well, he never played. It was Brandon Peters was back in there. And he goes 18 for 25 for 205 yards, touchdown, and no interceptions. I mean, plays a great game three weeks off of being off of COVID, right? And that's it. We don't get the pressure on him that needs to be out there. We can't tackle the running backs that they've got running the ball. I mean, it's a recipe for disaster. Our, so Our lack of physicality in the last, I'd say, six quarters of football on defense yes. has been is concerning. And it's really concerning going into Iowa week. Coming off of the victory against Penn State, and we were saying how happy we were to get the win, right? We had a great time last week talking about the win, but we talked about how it was the first time where we thought there were some chinks in the armor of the fact that maybe we weren't as physical in the trenches. At least we weren't against Penn State. Yep, that's right. Okay? Yep. Well, we saw similar things last weekend again now against Illinois. We can't get pressure on quarterbacks. We just can't do enough things to manufacture it. We either have to blitz so many dudes and it's slow and it doesn't get there, or we simply just can't get it out of the the three guys on the down line. And that's... Maddening. Maddening, because Peters is not this big mobile quarterback. Nope. And we're not going to play a big mobile quarterback this week either against Iowa. We're playing the style of quarterback that I love to play against, but if you can't get to him, then he's going to sit there and pick you apart. It's going to be a lot of stretch plays and play action this week. I hope we are ready. Yeah, stretch plays. That's what I was trying to think of, Mac. The funny thing is, though, I mean, to spin this a little more positive. I know we're Bring us back, Dave. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, I mean, reality is, is like we had these exact same problems the last two years, and somehow we ended up losing to Iowa both times by last-second field goal. So, I mean, like with all the problems that we brought into the game in 2018 and 2019 – we made it a very competitive game and honestly could have easily won either one of those. And so if we could take some of the positives that we saw from the first three games, like the D-line playing really well versus Ohio State and Northwestern, looking at the secondary and how well they played versus Penn State, Iowa's got good receivers, guys. Yep. We're going to have to have that secondary and, and I think playing – more bump coverage, making sure they're not getting a lot, of, a lot of space there is going to be important. Uh, you take those positives from those games and say, if we did that as a defense, that would be better than what we had seen from the 2018 and 2019 Nebraska defenses. We just got to see them put it on yeah. the field at the same time against a yep. good opponent. We have to set the edge the way we did the first two and a half games. I mean, through halftime yeah. of Penn State. If we stopped the season right there, I would have been like, we have, we've started to set the edge. We have done a great job between Nelson and when Heinrich's out there, when Payne's out there. Listen, and it, it seems like the last six quarters to Max Point, man, it has just felt like a different season. This is a completely winnable game. It all depends on how this team wants to do it. Honka, let, let's close this segment out with uh, one question to you. And, and that is from the kind of game flow versus Iowa. If you remember the last two years again, we tend to to start slow and then we actually have come back against Iowa and made it a game in, in, in both years, um, which seems to be opposite of what we have this year, right? Where we have actually put points on the bar in the first half and then we can't do anything in the second half. So do you feel maybe that, that bodes well? Maybe um, we revert back to that a little bit. And if we could actually start well, like we have in a couple of games this year, and then actually able to 
even play better in the second half that that we can take it to the Hawkeyes? I would say it starts as simple as the, the, the coin toss. If you win that right now, this isn't about bravado. This isn't about being aggressive. I'd kick it. I would try to start to win field position. I'd kick the ball and put your defense out there and see if you can get the ball back. 100% disagree, but go ahead. <laughs> this is not an offense that scares me from a big play potential. This isn't Ohio State, but this is a team you have to literally go up against and you have to you're going to So have to you'd rather go them. down to Iowa to start off with as they march I down would the rather, field? Mac, you just said it. If they if they're going to march down the field, then you're going to know it right away. I would away. rather be up 7 points when they march down the field than down I, when I got the but ball. But Mac, would you rather have the ball first in the second half and maybe that would change yeah. our second half starts? If you're No, point, because we've been terrible in the second half. If your point is that they're just going to march down the field, then they're just going to march down the field on us. My point is Kick the ball down, start to play an actual Big Ten game of play field position, and you know what? Play three tough plays of defense against them when it's on their twenty instead of on our twenty, which happens I'm just, last weekend. I'm play, just saying, play our a best normal offense game. has been our first series of well, every game. You could okay, argue, but I it, could argue last week it wasn't. Well, it was one play. You're right. Yeah, I mean, we literally the second drive. That second was drive was drive. good, though. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we were literally down seven nothing before we knew what was going on, and we're kicking the ball to them in the second half. I'm just, I'm, saying, I'm respectfully disagreeing. That's fine. You can make. I'm a saying point. try to play a normal Big Ten game for a second. A normal Big Ten game would be if you win that coin toss, kick it, and let's get on the field on defense first, and let's get a three and out and punt, have them punt it to us, and try to win some early field position. I haven't seen that happen in three years. It'd be fun to try to watch it. So you'd rather do the thing that you haven't seen in three years versus the thing you have seen a couple times this year, which is scoring on a first series. Well, I'm trying to think, when did we all score? We scored against Ohio State. We scored against Penn State, maybe, first series. Yeah. Did we right. against Northwestern? I don't think so. No, because we, no, we, we had, had the penalties. We, we, we were, were moving it, and then we had penalties. Oh, yeah, yeah, we had penalties. Yeah, so we're 50% on that. Well, okay. But the other thing you just said you haven't seen in three years. Well, we've never tried it, so... Yeah. Okay. But I see other teams try it all the time. Seems to work for them. Well, let's uh, let's uh, crack open the mailbag and see what the Redcast listeners have to say. You've got mail. Hi, mailman! I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. What's in the bag? A shark or something? All right, Hunk, let's crack open the mailbag. All right, Dave, the first one goes right back to you. It's from Ken McCone on Facebook, and he says, There comes a point where you start to question if this will eventually work. We've seen a significant upgrade in talent, nutrition, and strength and conditioning. We look different. We're bigger, faster, stronger. But on the field of play, we look lost. In fact, at this point in Coach Riley's tenure, he had a much better record, yet we now know that the wheels are falling off. I just hope that this isn't happening again. Yeah, Ken. I mean, we all hope it's not <laughs> happening again. I, I, you don't, Ken, you almost a- answered your own question. Yeah, it didn't seem like a question, did it, Dave? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the sense that all the things you rattle off there, the strength and conditioning, the player development, I mean, there has been progress. Um, we, we've talked about how the, that development has to manis- manifest itself into wins, and we surely did not see that last Saturday. And that's where everybody is all getting crazy here, right? It's really hard to be a fan right now and get frustrated about the lack of progress in the win column and last week in just the the level of play. But there was positives out there. So 
opposed to the Riley era in year three where it felt like the players had given up and that was relatively early in the year. Even before I course got fired, uh, didn't look like they were fully invested. Uh, we've only had one of those games and, and, and I'd like to attribute that poor performance versus Illinois for this team being young. Right, we 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 talk at length uh, on this show about how they're young all of a sudden, but then we fully expect them to be a very mature team that isn't going to have a down week. Well, they had one. Let's see if they can bounce back and maybe pull off a win here, whether it's against Iowa or, or Purdue, uh, and and turn the momentum back around. And so week to week, everything changes so fast. Let's not jump to conclusions. Let's see what happens here over the next month. All right. Well, thank you for the question, uh, Ken. And the next question is from Tony Hayek. He had a couple of statements, first off, where he said, we made Illinois look better than OSU. And then he followed that up with, we could very well not score a single point against Iowa. And so then he asked, please convince me I'm wrong. Um, I'll just start with you, Mac. Uh, Can you convince Tony that he's wrong? I feel for Tony. Tony's one of those young Husker fans, and he's not really that young, but... Never experienced the wins? But he has... he remembers the nineties as a baby. So he has no idea, no concept like we do of what greatness and the Husker program feels like. So he's, he's sort of living on the lore of it and he's waiting for this, this resurrection of the program. So I get it. I get the frustration. I get the, the angst, not to mention he had, he went to high school in Iowa amongst Hawkeye fans. It was gross. He didn't, you know, and, and they were, they were brutal to him. Distasteful really. You know, so like I, I know he's. <laughs> we talk every week, and text, and he's just—he's like a lot of us. He's just beaten down by this season, and he wants to be wrong more more than anything. And do I think we'll score a point against Iowa? Yes, I think we'll score points against. And if nothing else, we've got the best field goal kicker we've had in a year. So <laughs> I, I do think I do think we'll get in field goal range at least once. You know, Tone. It just depends on what team decides to show up. If it's a team that wants to win a football game, we'll win a football game. If it's the team that wants to continue to hamstring themselves and, and shoot themselves in the foot or whatever analogy you can have for doing the wrong thing at the wrong moment, we're going to have problems. But uh, we are capable of, of winning this game, as we've shown the last two years, and I would love for us to block a field goal and smoke that <laughs> smug kicker who blew us a kiss. And I don't care if we take a penalty. If we're going to take a penalty, which we take every game, take that penalty. Take that smoke one. that fool. Dave, uh, we made Illinois look better than Ohio State. Is that right? And can we not score against Iowa? Or are we going to put some points up this weekend? Well, I mean, if that's the truth, that we made Illinois look better than Ohio State, that means we played Ohio State pretty well. Right. Let's let's flip that question on its side. Right. There you go. And I mean, like, how did we do that? Right. We actually played physical at the line of scrimmage and, uh, you know, we, we played pretty well on the offensive side of the ball at times. So, um, yeah, I mean, that means we can revert back to that. Right. I mean, I mean, two weeks ago, Iowa was 0-2 and looked like they could be winless by the time they got to us. And suddenly they've they flipped their script by by playing better the last couple of weeks. So. In this season, anything is possible. We got to go out there to Max Point and and play like we can win because we can win. We almost won the last two years. Not saying it's going to happen, but the thing in this is doom and gloom, and it's impossible to beat Iowa. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, 
Uh, next question. This comes from Hold Fast, and Mac, this is for you. He says, I asked this again, and he sent us a question a week or two ago. He goes, what has improved? We have regressed. This is the most embarrassing it's been since Solich was fired. If he wasn't Scott Frost, we would be demanding that he be fired, and we would be right. Now, I think this goes a little bit back to Ken's question, the first one, where he talked about all the things that we've improved on mm-hmm. and then said, what's gotten better? And Dave said, well, all the things you all the things you say, stated, right? The strength and conditioning, and we look like a Big Ten team physically, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But, again, hold fast to saying, what has improved? Well, well what has improved? Everything Dave has mentioned as improved <laughs> we have gotten stronger we have gotten bigger we're more physical we've got more talent uh we're, we're young in a lot of positions that are already showing promise and we're getting a lot of play time for those guys there's there's a ton of improvement in in Husker fans, I implore you not to overreact. And I, but at the same time, I totally understand why you would. I did the same thing. It was a horrible, horrible loss. And when you do that, it's going to be difficult for anyone to convince you otherwise. So, yeah. Well, I mean, for that person that says, "Hey, you guys have been talking for the last hour," and it seems like a bunch of negative stuff. But I mean, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. There's negative stuff. We're football fans. I mean, <laughs> there's things that you don't like to have happen to your team, and it's embarrassing, especially when the national media has been teeing off on you with every little thing, and then you open yourselves up for some gut punches. It's like, ugh, horrible. But come on, man. You can't say that we're not better than we were with Riley. And if you can't look around at the Big Ten and realize that these teams have gotten better too, I don't know what to tell you. We are going to have to play better to just have the same record as Mike Riley did. That's just going to be how it is. But I do think we'll get to that point and then rise above it. I, I mean, I truly believe that. I hope... Now, if we're having this conversation again next week where we lay down and let Iowa run all over us, that's mm. a totally different conversation. Right now, I'm willing to put Illinois as a one-off. And go from there. But if, if next week we're having the same conversation and they walked up and down the field on us, then... Yeah, if we didn't show anything, that's one thing. But moving... But even beyond that, you know, you're saying we would demand for a coaching change. All right, man, you pick the coach. You pick the guy that's going to care more about the program. You pick the guy who's going to do more to make this team great. You pick the guy that you think's got the best offense and the most comprehensive defensive plan that's going to take us to this next level. Because I want to hear who that is and who we can actually get and who we can actually afford to make that happen. You tell me, because I don't know who that is out there. Yeah, you know, Mac, I mean, I get pissed off about the national media telling the fan base they need to recalibrate their expectations. But as a fan base, we need to think about, like, who else is going to take this job if we're going to fire Scott Frost after year three? I mean, that's just ridiculous, guys. I mean, we have to get beyond that as a fan base. I mean, sure, it's tough to be patient, but if you're not seeing the progress, you're not looking hard enough, and if you are unwilling to give this coaching staff a couple more years, uh, I don't know what you expect to come in here and fix this, right? I mean, we said that Frost is the was the right hire, and to expect that we are just going to get rid of him in three years uh, is just, it's unrealistic. It's, it yeah. shouldn't even be a conversation. So well, I, just, I was just going to play devil's advocate here for podcast sake. Shocking. How many years do you give him? I think every situation is different, right, Honk? I mean, I feel like if you walk into a really great situation and three years later the team is significantly worse, that's a different story. Um if uh, I felt like this team was quitting on Scott Frost, 
Um, that would also be a different story. I feel like the Illinois game was a abnormal situation. The other three games this year look like they had a lot of fight in them. To Max point, if we get steamrolled this week against Iowa, I'm going to start feeling less confident about this. But I, I think that we have to take it every game one at a time yes. here and and be reasonable that if Scott Frost can't do this, the odds of us just randomly bringing in the next coach and he's going to fix it is is not the solution. It's stability. It is building the, the program from the ground up and being consistent. And if, if that's not Scott Frost delivering that, I don't know who it's going to be. So I think patience is really a virtue here. Yeah, every game matters. And we're not three years in. We are two years and four games at this point right now. We just need to keep growing. Every game shows us something new. And sometimes it's bad and sometimes it's good. But our expectations will change as times change. You know, Devaney came in here. There was zero expectations. And he had a bunch of success for four or five years. Then he has one or two bad years. And the expectations changed and people wanted him gone, right? I mean, it's crazy that way. Frost... He can get this thing turned around and and win a bunch of games here for two or three years. Everyone will be happy if he has one. If he has a year anything remotely close to what he's done the last three years, people would be calling for him in year seven or eight or whatever it is. We've learned all about change. The team we're going to play this week, Iowa, has had two coaches since 1979. Since the time I was two years old, they've had two coaches. They are actually the model of stability right now. But they've got a bunch of Big Ten championships, though. It doesn't matter. They've also they've gone through some great seasons, some bad seasons, but what they've done is they've stuck with two coaches over the course of that time. And that's really it, they didn't have the success that Nebraska had over the Devaney Osborne right. years, but that that's the model that Devaney and Osborne was, right? And what Nebraska's done the last twenty years while Iowa stuck with one coach, Nebraska has burned through about three or four coaches. And every time, you know, we make these changes because that next change is always going to be the right thing. Look, we feel like we have the right guy here. We have to give him time. We can be as critical as we've been even at times during this show. There's times to be critical, but look, he has to be able to get this thing right. We have to give him the time to get this thing right. And I believe he's doing enough of the things to get it right. It's just it has to start showing on the field. Simple as that. I can't make it any clearer. And I don't know how many people listen to this show that are not on Twitter. Thousands, Mac. (laughs) Yeah. But that aren't on Twitter as well. You know, Twitter will get you thinking a certain way about a fan base. And that doesn't necessarily reflect the entire fan base. Yeah. You know, we talk about it all the time. Nebraska is a unique situation, right? You have to understand Nebraska. You have to understand what in-state recruits mean. You have to understand sure. what the walk-on program means. You have to understand the hardworking nature that Nebraskans have and how that reflects into their football team. So if that's true, and I feel like we feel that way, then how are we going to just throw aside some guy who you know is doing all the work, putting in all the time, trying to get all these guys, the the, the pieces in place to make a move to have – the team that we're proud of on the field. I know that game was frustrating Saturday. I felt that frustration because we <laughs> looked like hot garbage from the first snap. Not acceptable. But you know who also knows that? Scott Frost knows that. 
The entire coaching staff knows that. Everybody in the state, Bill Moose, they all know that. We all know that was a garbage game and it shouldn't happen. Nobody's pleased. It's not Mike Riley at the end going, well, you know, we did some good things. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, coke, he yeah. came out, he graded really good on special teams. It's a pretty special moment. You know, you see that, all those cardboard cutouts out there and you think, oh, that's, that's a good thing. You know, it wasn't that, you know, <laughs> he knows, he knows it was garbage. So I, I'm not even going to entertain the idea that we're, we're looking to replace Scott Frost. It's stupid. It's stupid. We, he, we got lightning in a bottle when we got him hired here. We need to ride or die with this guy. In minimum, Mike, to your question, minimum before it's even a conversation, it has to be five years. It has to be five years. Yeah. This is not going to be one on Twitter, by the way. I've seen enough things on social media where it's like, well, if you just get top-notch quarterback and a great center that snaps it every time, and, so running, and running backs that can, you know, the, you know, pro running backs, and, and all these things. Like, it's amazing how if you just do all these things, that's the thing that we're not doing right now. And Boomer had the greatest response to one some Twitter warrior that did it. And Boomer's was like, "What was the the Steve Martin thing about being a millionaire? What what's the first thing you have to do?" Well, the first thing is just to get a million dollars, you know, and then, then it's all easy after that, yeah. Then you become a millionaire. Well, just get all those all-American guys that do everything, and then everything mm-hmm. else will come easy. Twitter's so, so good. They, they, you know, they they talk to us about, you know, Coach Frost being on the hot seat, but then they also, at the same breath, make fun of us for firing coaches. You know, it's like, <laughs> what do you want us to do? Like, I don't get it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. Nebraska's hey. so quick to fire coaches because they're irrelevant. But you're irrelevant. Fire a coach. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, we know who we want. Stop oh talking to us. Okay. Hey, we got two questions left. The first one uh, I'm going to send to Boomer. This is from Believe in Fred, who was on our rapid reaction show after the Penn State game. He said he wondered yet never saw an answer in regards to uniforms. He goes, in general, home teams wear colors at home for football and whites at home for basketball. Any idea why? He goes, my thought would be that it has to do with the visibility with respect to playing area and proximity to fans. Boomer, have you done a little bit of research on this? That's interesting. Well, a little bit after after he posed that question, I kind of dived into it a little bit. The whole idea of teams wearing white at home and colors on the road seems to stem from baseball. Actually, way back in the day when uh, teams would travel and you'd go by bus and you'd be on the road for a very lengthy period of time and you wouldn't have access to laundries or anything like that. So you, you tended to wear darker colors, grays, things like that to cover up the dirt and smudges and things like that just because you wouldn't be able to wash your uniforms for a while. So it was just kind of kind of an outgrowth of that. The home teams had their laundromat. They could wash their whites. The visitors could wear those those darker colors for a while and kind of let that slide. And it seems basketball, they adopted that same whole philosophy. Uh, football... It just seemed to kind of be up in the air at the time. If you go back to 1923, you'd have scenarios where, like, uh, when Oklahoma came to Nebraska to open up Memorial Stadium, they both wore colors. Uh, Oklahoma wore red. We wore blue, actually, in that game, just because Oklahoma didn't have any money to buy alternate uniforms. All they had were red, so we were courteous enough to wear our blue practice uniforms that year. And I kind of poked around a little bit. Um, It doesn't really seem the NCAA had standards of of this until 83 when they requested teams wear colors at home and white on the road. And that's been changed since then. But I went back and looked and if you looked at the 1940, late 1940s, 1950s seasons, there were some examples of Nebraska and Notre Dame. Both teams appear to be wearing colored jerseys. Um, the 49 team in Nebraska seemed to wear white at home 
I, I went back and kind of looked at that. It was just kind of kind of up in the air. And even since uh, 83, uh, LSU really pushed it hard because they liked wearing white uniforms at home based on just kind of a superstition they had because they were switching around uniform colors. And they won a national championship right when they were wearing whites at home. And one of their coaches later on went and pushed the NCAA to make that change. So there's some flexibility on that if teams agree beforehand and make some agreements in writing who can wear what colors and games. You can have scenarios where both teams are wearing home uniforms or one team wears white, one team wears the color, depending on what it is. So it's not set in stone. It's just kind of a kind of an up-in-the-air thing. And, and the NFL is kind of the same way. There aren't really any set rules on that either. It just kind of depends on who agrees to what. That's why you know with those weird Technicolor Thursday games and whatever it is, the NFL. So it's just, it's 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 an interesting question when I looked into it, and it's kind of fun to research. But yeah, it just seems to be kind of a baseball thing, and just kind of an outgrowth of that. So basically, the away teams just smelled really bad. Yeah, pretty they, much. Yeah, okay. yeah. By that okay. point, but uh, they all smoked back then anyway and drank heavily. So Bless their like, hearts, man. Yeah, they smelled like cigarettes and, and booze by that point. Anyway. I saw it with so the red cast almost when men were men. Exactly, yep. And there was no crying in baseball, so it was all good. Yeah. Those Thursday night pro games are horrendous, some of those <laughs> some of those uniforms. It's the color rush series, yes. Yes. Well, Dave, the last question comes from Husker Nut, and he said, I see that the Huskers are predicted to finish 13th in the Big Ten in Nebraska ball. Are we really that bad? And so, you know, we have our first games here this week, hopefully. We do? Uh, I don't know. We've Are had a, TV? we've had some golden windows thing come and go, but it sounds like we might play golden, some games. But golden window. Dave, we're going to get into the season and we're going to get into the the Nebraska ball segments in coming shows. But I guess to Husker Nuts' question, I mean, are we really the thirteenth best team right now? Yeah, you know, uh, golden window. I just want the golden ticket, to, uh, <laughs> you know, an NCAA tournament victory right you know this believe in fred should be answering this question almost. correct yeah um i don't know for 13th i don't know for eighth it, it, it seems like uh this team is more athletic and better suited to run fred hoiberg's offense than than last year's team Hopefully they're better free throw shooters um, as well. You know, I mean, I was optimistic for last year's team to be competitive. And um, early in the season, they appeared to to have a, a shot. Even though they struggled early, they beat Iowa. Remember that, guys? I mean, right? it, it, it happened. And they went and lost 17 straight games. Um, but it was but close. we also heard that entire time that the best players on the roster were the ones sitting out. Delano Blanton... Uh, Shamil Stevenson, Derek Walker, uh, and and Fred has added so many players in again this year that someone like Derek Walker, who we were excited about um, as being a big big man in in this offense, it may not even start this year. Likely won't start this year. So we play McNeese State on on Wednesday. Actually, I believe that's a morning or at least a noon game. So um, you know, try to. If you're working from home, make sure you find BTN and, and watch Nebraska on TV. And then on Thanksgiving, we have Nevada in the golden window. And then uh, North Dakota State on Saturday. So you get three games in uh, four days and a uh, Husker game in between there. So you're going to learn a lot really quickly if, if this team is more competitive than than last year. And then, uh, you know, the Big Ten's a gauntlet. Uh, it's going to be awfully hard to to win a lot of games there, but 
Uh, my sense is, I think this is going to be a very competitive team that's going to finish above 13th in conference. I, I feel like uh, the the media, since you haven't seen any of these players play, especially together, immediately jump to the conclusion that we are not talented. But if you look at the roster standpoint, this is a more talented Nebraska team than we usually would ever have. Um, and then Fred's doing a great job recruiting. We have a five-star player, Bryce McGowan's. Trey McGowan's uh, younger brother coming in next year. So whether it's this year or next year, we are going to start making noise in the Big Ten soon. Dave, is that game on Thanksgiving on TV? Yes, it is. Well, hot dog. All right. You got something to watch besides some bad NFL games. I'm looking for some good juju. <laughs> there we 100%. go. 100%. Well, thank you to everyone. And by the way, I apologize. To the We had like 10 other questions that we didn't get to. The show's already over an hour. Yes, right now, Luke so. needs to get better at passing the ball downfield. Yes, we need to get wide receivers <laughs> catching the ball. Yes, we need to block better. Yes, a hundred. Yes, yeah, so all those Mac just answered a bunch of those other questions. So, Dave, back to you. All right, good stuff. Uh, you know, I think an extra long show like this, Honky, just has to help have heard at media, you know, love our our content production. That's <laughs> that's our specialty here. Uh, so that's why they brought in the big guns. If we can get paid for by the minute, this would be great. As long as it's <laughs> yeah. not by the win, we should be fine. <laughs> Pay us by that the is, minute, not the win. Not the win. That's so true. So true. All right, let's uh, let's get out of here with some predictions and then the parting shots. Let's start with Boomer's prediction. The rational part of me says nothing so far this season looks good for this game. I was kind of got some momentum going. We've we're struggling. I just hope this is a game where Nebraska finds some pride left in this season and can turn something around. I don't know if they can, but just maybe it's the the cocktails talking at this point. Let's just say Nebraska twenty. For Iowa 21, just what the hell, why not? It's Thanksgiving weekend, I have nothing else to root for. Let's try that. Ride with them. Yeah. I got a boomer. Why not? Mac. It's a Thanksgiving Day miracle. Boomer, you picked the Scurs? Good Lord. I was I was shocked. I was ready to I was ready to come in with the sunshine and then you and then you went with uh with the Scurs. I have two predictions. Um one, uh if if the Huskers actually show up to play. I think we're in for a good game. I think we'll take Iowa all the way down in the fourth quarter, and I think we'll eventually beat him. Uh, two, if um, if we have a one single false start or <laughs> illegal procedure on the first drive, it's we're going to get beat by 20 points. That's that's my prediction. So the first drive will tell you everything you need well, to Well, you know. have to help art director Swobes because he has to like create our graphics, mm. so you have to actually give a score. Or you can give two scores and he can figure out the graphic. He can. Um, you know. He's that good. Smoke turkey ver- uh, to cranberry sauce. <laughs> Smoke turkey wins. That's that's the Huskers. Okay, graphic designer Swobes, uh, that's for you. Do, do your best. All right, Honk. Prediction. You know, I have picked Nebraska, I think, in literally every game that we've had under Frost. I don't know that I've picked a loss in the last three years. Uh, under, you know, can you think of Frost. one? I mean, I don't know. I'm picking one this week, and I'm picking one because, to be quite honest, right now, if I, I've watched it, the team I've watched the most football besides Nebraska out of the conference has actually been Iowa. I've watched them play, I think, three of their games so far. Um, the style that they play and what I've seen us do here, especially the last couple of weeks, the last six quarters, um, 
it concerns me. It concerns me a lot. And if we're going to sit there and fumble the ball around and miss blocks and have bad snaps and all those things, if we're going to do that this week, then we're going to lose and we're not going to be competitive against Iowa. Um, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope that we make all the corrections that we need to make from last week. I hope that we have a year's worth of frustration built up with the kickers kissing us from the, the sideline and all that garbage. But you know what? If we play the way we did and Iowa plays the way they have the last three games, we're going to lose 49-20. to 20. Ow. All right. Hockey's going reverse psychology here. He's figuring, like, hey, I'm going <laughs> to pick against the Huskers. and clearly going to motivate them. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, Hawk, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I actually think the Huskers can win this game, but um, let's pick against them until they prove us otherwise. I'll go 21-20 Hawkeyes in a wow. frustrating one-point loss. All right, Hawk, uh, let's get some parting shots, and this is a sidetracks-themed parting shot, so take it away. You know, number one, it's it's Iowa hate week. We hear that all the time, and, and that's okay. Look, they're a rival, and I will never argue that Iowa and Nebraska are rivals. And I just want to say one thing is let's be respectful with the rivalry. I, I just – I love having – fun with it and let's throw shade at them and they can throw shade at us, but let's not make it personal. And when I think about that, there's somebody that comes to mind about someone that knew how to have a lot of fun, someone that knew how to throw shade at Oklahoma, the old rival that we had back Mm -hmm. then, but sidetrack Joyce who passed away last week and all of us of our age group that went to sidetracks bar. I mean, she was amazing. And I just, I guess I want to just throw it out to you guys. This is my parting shot is talking about what she meant to, Husker football. She's somebody that she's like literally. She's in the cliff notes of Husker football mm-hmm. as being somebody that like people will talk about. I remember going on away games and the sidetrack band would be you know in Dallas, Dave. Uh, Ten years ago, when we went down there for one of the Big Twelve title games. The sidetrack band. We tried to get into one of the bars down there in the Dallas area, and it was packed with Husker fans. We couldn't get in. Literally like a thousand miles away from Nebraska, right? Like how cool is that? And she was such a cool lady. And uh, anyways, it was so sad to see that, that she passed away. And, you know, I guess I want to go around the room a little bit. I'll start with you, Dave, on memories of Sidetracks and just, you know, what Sidetrack Joyce meant to you. Yeah, I mean, Sidetracks, uh, especially during that era, 90s, uh, absolute uh, prime spot um, on Friday nights before the games. You know, m- the memory that I have that I'll bring up here is actually a 2001 Oklahoma weekend. And uh, I had my cousin in from California, and we had a blast down there. I know, uh, Honky, you were, you were there with us, and we had a great table yeah. <laughs> right right in front of the band. Uh, Joyce, uh, you know, and I had my cousin as a uh, Sidetrax virgin and all that type of stuff, right? <laughs> you know? And uh, I also um, lost my cousin during the, the weekend and uh, left him abandoned downtown. And... Um, <laughs> Long story short, he did forgive me, and we won the game. But um, it was a it was a rough night for, to be certain, but a great times at Sidetracks. Well, you know, it was hard to get th- those kind of tables, and it was hard to get into Sidetracks. I mean, Boomer, I think one of your memories is we were standing behind NBA royalty, weren't we? In line, yeah, that had to be probably ninety eight, I think. Yes. Yeah, because we were playing Washington, and I remember standing. It, it would have been my first time at Sidetracks, just standing there waiting to get in line, and just. The tallest gentleman I'd ever seen in line at a at a bar in Lincoln, just waiting to get in there. And the more we thought about it, the more we realized that was a Seattle Supersonics uh, Power Forward Deadlift Shrimp. 
uh, waiting in front of us at line to get into the side. You class. heard him right, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And who was he with? Uh, that I don't recall, Dave. Uh, who was who was with him? NBA royalty, Rich King. Oh yeah, that's right. Darn oh really? Yeah, yeah. Holy who God. was there? Yeah. Crap, there how did we forget that? There. I didn't forget it. Yeah, that was that was good. So yeah, it was. Uh, Interesting time, then you get into sidetracks and enjoy all the just cigarette smoke and uh, <laughs> cheap beer and, and foul mouth songs, and that's what it was. And I remember seeing uh, the sidetracks band was the the first Big Ten game up in Madison. They were there in Wisconsin, and yep. uh, I can't remember what bar it was, but they were there too. And it's just part of what it was, you know, being an Oscar fan in that era was seeing the sidetracks band, and it was it was fun, and it's just sad to see her pass. Absolutely, Mac. How about you? The sidetrack bar, and I, I, I force myself to say sidetrack. Uh, Jack always gave me a bunch. Of, if you said sidetracks, he's like, it's a sidetrack. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> uh, so Jack, sidetrack bar. It, it was one of those kind of most like a rite of passage. You know, like you come to Lincoln and you get into that bar. It was always a oh, line. Yeah. It was always a crowd. And you get in there and it just felt like. It felt like you were hearkening back to the good old days when it was really nitty gritty and just having a great time being in a college town. And you got this gal up on stage singing these foul mouth songs oh. and everybody's just having a great time with it. Bottles hanging from ropes on the from the ceiling with cash stuffed <laughs> in them. You'd swing them there to give somebody a tip and try to get a drink. You know, right. everybody's packed in there tight and sweaty. And, you know, you're just singing along to these songs, and everybody was having such a good time. And one of the things I like, you know, you're talking about, you know, taking a rivalry and making the best out of it. Yeah. The, the away teams had to have so much fun oh. in those games because you'd let – they'd invite them up to sing their, their own fight song, which nobody ever knew. And they play, even, and they knew – that band knew how to play the fight songs of every opponent's team, which was so cool. Oh, and you remember how you could give like dedications, like, and she would oh. just say, she would say whatever you wrote. She was like Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <you know? laughs> she would do whatever, you, and she didn't care. And it's like your grandma up on stage saying the most foul mouth thing you could think to write on a napkin and get up to her. No apologies, no embarrassment, just bravado. And it was like, I don't know. Something about being at Sidetrack oh. made you proud to be in Nebraska. And like anytime you could get somebody out from like Columbus or, or, or any small town around there, I'm like, if you got to Lincoln, man, if we can get to Sidetrack. Sidetracks. Can, I remember the Diedrichs were awesome. Like Robbie in particular was oh, yeah. really good oh, about getting were. in line. Those, yeah. I'm like, and if, if Robbie was, I'm like, you just kind of know somebody in line. And then you could, I, I don't know if it was you or Dave Whitehouse. That got kicked out of that bar three times in one night. <laughs> well, I got kicked out definitely. <laughs> and you kept like that was White House. You kept, I, yeah. I don't think they see me again. <laughs> yeah, I know I got kicked out a couple times, but I think White House was the guy that got kicked but out. But he like kept three getting times. back in. Yeah. Bless his heart. You know, Hawk, <laughs> just to, to finish this up, I, uh, one thing that my cousin said. So my cousin's a Nebraska fan, but he, he's from Los Angeles. He's a Dodgers fan, Lakers fan. All that type of stuff, right? But, I mean, that was his first and only Nebraska game. And he's commented to me after the fact that he had never seen uh, one place like the Sidetrack Bar and, and Joyce leading that experience where everybody is all the same mindset, rooting yes. for the same team, and with such a, um, a familial uh, sense to it that it was just 
undescribable to him. He had never, ever experienced that. And for Nebraska fans of our generation to have that every Friday night or Saturday uh, is is hard to fathom now. Almost. It was amazing. And, you know, I, I think of Oklahoma being a rival. And, mm-hmm. by the way, we're in rival week right now. We are playing Iowa, and they are absolutely a rival. And when we would play Oklahoma or, you know, any of the teams that we'd play, that you could have the opponent's fans inside track bar with us, and we could literally sing a song making fun of Brian Bodsworth or mm-hmm. whatever the heck, right? Or Screw or, the Sooners. Screw the Sooners. Yeah. Or my favorite was the Billy Joel for the longest time remake. Uh, I'm not, <laughs> oh, not, not going to repeat it. But, <laughs> but um, you know, to be able to have that and to where literally the opponent's fan could – they could enjoy oh, yeah. the song as yeah. much as we would. I mean, we were all together, right? That's what I want to see out of uh, – call it Iowa hate week. Call it whatever you want. I I want us to be able to have that those kind of moments with opponents where, where we can dislike and, and rival and fight and all those things, but you do it in respectful ways and you enjoy it. And Joyce was so good about mm-hmm. that. My personal uh, memories of it uh, – this is personal to me. It's personal to Dave. I have two two examples of this. I told my wife, Kathy, I was going to marry her five minutes before we walked into it. And we had only been together for maybe a month. In fact, it was at Oklahoma 2001. It was right walking How'd into that. How'd that turn out? Well, I eventually married her. She stuck with me. <laughs> oh. uh, the other one is is Dave married a, a, a sweet gal, Katie, and it was walking away from the UC, USC game 2007. We walked away, and it was Dave and, Dave and I chatting and me saying, hey, maybe – Maybe you might want to think this, you know, give it a go because she seems like a good gal too. And and you guys, Dave, you, you've made a good go of it out there in Denver there. So, you know, there's a lot of special times and moments that we've personally had and collectively we've had and, and with the Diedrichs and the Jacks yeah. and all the people that we've thrown in this this mix too. The Sidetrack Bar was a great place. And uh, so I know we've spent a little more time on this than even my normal parting shot, Dave. But it's totally worth it. Sidetrack Joyce was an amazing woman, and, and we're certainly going to miss her. I also had one Dave moment because back in the day, Dave worked for Time Warner Cable. He put these commercials together. Oh, my God, and, yeah. And was it, it was the Downtown Underground, I think, was the name of the, the <laughs> bar. Funny. And so we're all sitting at this table, and it's <laughs> you know you could, go to, you could go to Sidetrack the night before, but you could also go there on game day. It wasn't quite as packed, but it was yeah. busy. And there was like a – there was an MTV commercial that came on, and it seemed like the commercial that I was on always came on after this. And I said, if this commercial comes on, I'm getting up on the table. <laughs> anyway, about as soon as I said it, this this commercial comes on, and it's me, you know, looking like a goob. You know, I've got probably like a steel necklace on and a shirt that's too tight. And yeah, you can't smell me in the commercial, but I probably have a ton of cologne on. Anyway, I just get up there, and I'm like, hey, that's me. And everyone's like, shut up. Get out. But it, it was just, I mean... Just one of those moments where, like, you kind of felt like a little Lincoln celebrity and you were at the sidetrack bar and everybody got a kick out of it. But, you know, Dave, you put me on the map back and, in those and, days. And, and Mac, <laughs> what was your line? Let's go do this. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go do this and beat Iowa. Yes. Yes. All right. With that, let's call that a go big red cast. Go big red. Screw the Sooners, screw the Sooners. <laughs> I'm here with Joyce. So now what are some of the expect or expectations that someone coming to Lincoln can expect to come to Sidetrack Tavern? Rowdy behavior. You're going to be hot and sweaty and happy. All right. That sounds... That sounds- <laughs>
Huda Media Production.